Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis chapter 10, after the flood. So here's what's going on now. So um, let's move into chapter 10, verse 2. The sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog and Madai. They're the Medes and Yavan and Tubal and Meshech and Tyrus. And I want you to notice that in the record in Genesis chapter 10, after the flood, it's in chiastic summary. So it's in reverse order. So it's going to go in a reverse direction. So notice that the sons of Japheth are Gomer and Magog. Now, some of you will, that will remind you of Ezekiel chapter 38. And I won't go there right now. But Ezekiel chapter 38, especially verses 1 through 5, lists some of these people groups. And Gomer has connections to Germany, and Magog has connections to Russia, and Havan, or Javan, in verse 2, uh, connects to the Greek Empire. Tubal and Meshach and Tyrus all connect again to the area of Russia. The sons of Gomer, you can reference Ezekiel 38, verse 6, were Ashkenaz and Riphath and Togarma. Uh, probably the ancestor of the Armenians or people from Turkey. The sons of Javan were Elisha. Uh, they connect him uh, possibly to the island of Cyprus off of Greece. And Tarshish, and Tarshish was Jonah's destination west. They connect Tarshish possibly to Tartessos, Spain, uh, when Jonah ran away from God. Where did God want Jonah to go? Go to the great city of what? Nineveh and preach to them. And Jonah said, oh no, I won't go. And so he, he bought a ticket. And it's interesting in the book of Jonah, it keeps saying he went down, he went down, he went down, he paid the fare and went down into the ship. And eventually he headed for Tarshish. And some people say, argue Tarshish is the British Isles. Some people say, it's Spain. Some people say it's as far west as you could go, but he was trying to get away from God's call. And God created a situation. A storm. Anybody been in a storm lately? A custom fish. And uh, the prophet was swallowed up. And he lost his tan in the, the belly of the great sea monster. Seaweed hat going on. And he was regurgitated on the seashore. By the way, Jesus believed the story of Jonah was literal. And he showed up and he said, Nineveh's got 40 days. 40 days and Nineveh, Nineveh will be destroyed. Um, are you running from God tonight? If you are, you might be running into a storm. Or you might just be swallowed up by circumstances. There's Kittim and Dodanum. You're going to have to work on all your Bible names tonight. And I'm not sure if you guys know if I'm pronouncing them correctly anyway, so I'm just going to pronounce them with authority and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> From these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. The total number of nations that emerge from Noah's sons are 70. 70. Jesus sends out 70 to go and witness in Luke 10.1. 70 weeks are pronounced over Israel in Daniel 9.24-27. Israel goes into 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Um, that's recorded in Jeremiah and there's references in the book of Daniel. The number 70 may be symbolic, some scholars believe. Uh, it speaks of totality or completion. And here you have Japheth and you have the Indo-European nations that are coming from him. And this, uh, there's going to be 70 families in total as we go through the whole thing. Uh, here's in rapid fire. 14 are from the line of Japheth. 30 are from the line of Ham. And 26 are from the line of Shem. Go back and get the, a copy of the message. Um, this is from uh, Morris. He says, Even higher critics have often admitted that the 10th chapter of Genesis is a remarkably accurate historical document. Dr. William F. Albright said of this chapter, and he was not a believer in the Bible being infallible. He said, quote, It, Genesis chapter 10, stands absolutely alone in ancient literature, without a remote parallel, even among the Greeks, where we find the closest approach to the distribution of peoples in genealogical framework. The table of nations remains an astonishingly, astonishingly I can say it, accurate document, close quote. And so even people who are not committed biblicists look at Genesis 10 and say this is a remarkably accurate uh, record of the peoples of the world. Now, you may have wondered, um, with all the variety within humanity, do we all come from one source? And the truth is, we do. We all come from Adam and Eve. We all come from Noah, his wife, and his three sons. So you can go from Noah and his family back to Adam and Eve. And eventually, we all come from who? We all come from God. So this record in the book of Genesis tells us that humanity is all united. We are all one blood or one race. Acts 17 is where I'd like you to go. Acts chapter 17. And let's look at verse 26. Paul is up on Mars Hill and he is speaking to the Greeks. He's a Jew speaking to the Greeks. The famous location of Athens. And uh, this is... Verse 22, Acts 17, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus where they would discuss all kinds of uh, spiritual, religious, philosophical ideas. Acts 17, 22, he said, Men of Athens, observe, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For I was, while I was passing through and examining the, the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance... This I proclaim to you. Now there's stories from the ancient world that in the Agora, in the marketplace in Greece, they had 3,000 different altars to different gods. Gods and goddesses that they wanted to appease. And just in case they missed one, they had an altar to an unknown god. 
That was just, just in case, if there's anybody else, isn't 3,000 enough? <laughs> if there's anybody else out there, man is innately religious. Atheism is fairly rare in the history of man. But man tends to worship the wrong thing or the wrong God. The issue isn't just about worship. This is very important. It's about who you worship or what you worship. And a lot of modern idolatry is captured in the idea of the worship of self. That's the essence, by the way, of Satanism. Satanism is really not about Lucifer and worshiping him. Satanism is about self-deification. It's about the worship of self. And that's why uh, people are, gravitate to that. He says, the God who made the world 24, Acts 17, and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives uh, to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one, that one is Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined, this is very important for Genesis 10, their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. All this was God's doing. Notice verse 27. Why did he do it? That they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. There is hope for the nations. There's hope for those who dispersed abroad in Genesis chapter 10. Hope to come back to the God who gave them life. But something emerges in Genesis chapter 10 that is a distraction to mankind. It's intended to be that. And it's going to come through a man called Nimrod. Um, some of you growing up, <laughs> go back to Genesis 10, are familiar with that name. Because you were called it from time to time. What does it mean to be called a Nimrod? <laughs> How many of you are familiar with that? Just raise up your hand so I, I don't feel like I'm, oh, wow, this is great. It's wonderful. Well, Nimrod means rebellion. So if someone was called a Nimrod when they were growing up, that's basically the essence of the, the word is rebel. Now, we're going to segue in Genesis chapter 10 in verse 6 to the sons of Ham. And Ham was the one who did that dastardly thing to his father. The sons of Ham were Cush, Genesis 10.6. The Greek appellation of this word is Nubia, or ancient Ethiopia. And Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim is the regular Hebrew word for Egypt. So one of the sons of Ham was Cush, one was Egypt, if you will and Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, and Sabta, and Rama, Septeka, and the sons of Rama, probably an African uh, Arabian tribe, were Sheba, uh, that's the southwest corner of Arabia, perhaps modern Yemen, Yemen and Dedan. So you'll note that Ham has four sons listed here, Cush, could also be Kish, Mitzrayim, which is Egypt, Put, 
which uh, is Libya often in the Bible, and Canaan. And they settled primarily in northeast Africa and Egypt. So the other mentions are uh, Havilah, Sabta, and Sabdeca, and one other. And they're all located in the area of modern Arabia. Now, Cush became the father of Nimrod. Now, here's this infamous fellow, and the, the text kind of slows down to focus on Nimrod. And he became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter. The Hebrew can suggest arrogance before the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Uh, Babel is the famous root for Babylon. Babel will take some shape in Genesis 11 with a tower of Babel. And so one possible meaning of Babel, if you look it up in a, a lexicon, is confusion. Because it was at the tower of Babel that God did what? He confused the languages. We're told in Genesis 11 that the world had one language at that time and God confused the languages. And he did that for a very specific purpose because of what the Tower of Babel represented. The Tower of Babel represented rebellion, much like the mover and shaker behind the tower. In fact, there are uh, historians and archaeologists that tie the tower or the ziggurat may have been something like a pyramid, all the way back to the uh, beginning of the horoscope and the signs of the zodiac. And in fact, you could go on some fanatical websites, and I would call them extreme, where they believe even the Tower of Babel was some sort of portal for demonic activity. Now, it may have had some demonic activity, but I think some ideas of the Tower of Babel go too far but what it did represent was some sort of um, attempt by man to reach up to God. In Christianity, God reaches down to man, but Babel or rebellion is man saying, I can reach up to God or I can do it without God. It's man bringing confusion, if you will, to life. Uh, world religions which dominate the world, isms, cults. Um, remember, I told you even today, a small percentage of the world is atheist. The devil works through these things. Think about ancient Israel. Think about people that you know along life's journey. Most of them are not deceived in not believing that there's some supreme being. Most of them are deceived in the area of knowing what to believe and why to believe it. And so this was apparently the work of Nimrod. Now if you go, you can go on Wikipedia and you can go on a bunch of different websites and you can learn more about the infamous uh, man named Nimrod. Now Nimrod, because he comes from the line of Ham and specifically Canaan and the curse, there's an idea here that maybe when he was being born the family said, we're not going to be a servant to Shem and Japheth. We're not going to live in that prophecy. So maybe this kid was named and trained to, to bring a rebellion against God. To say, no, we're not going to settle for you know, letting Shem and Japheth have the upper hand. And so the beginning of his kingdom was, verse 10, Babel. 
Now, if you uh, have studied this subject before, you know that Babylon runs all through the Bible and all, it even runs all the way through the book of Revelation. It takes us through Revelation. It's mentioned in Revelation 14, 8, 17, 5, 18, 2, 10, and 21. And Babel or Babylon in the book of Revelation represents the world in what? Rebellion against God. And people have tried to pin the tail on Babylon. They, some people have said, Babylon is the United States. I hope not. <laughs> I sure hope not. But Babylon has sold her wares, spread her immorality everywhere. And that's why some people think that's the case. But we also know the United States has a lot of, done a lot of great things around the world, including helping many nations, including sending missionaries out everywhere. So we have to be careful. There are some people who tie it all the way back to ancient Babylon or the, that actual geographic location. But Babylon in its symbolic form is in rebellion to God. It's a, it's, it could be a religious system and even tie into a political system that meld together in rebellion against the God of the Bible. And the mover and shaker that started all of this stuff Going is this man named Rebel. He was, one uh, pastor put it this way, he was a rebel with a cause. And I hope you're a rebel with a cause in the good sense. The cause of Christ. That you be a rebel against the culture and against the world squeezing you into its mold and you'd be a rebel for a good cause. The, gauze, the cause of Christ. So his name, Nimrod, could be translated... Um, we shall rebel. He was a champion hunter. Literally, one uh, writer says you could render this a champion of game hunting. Nimrod is a, pic is a picture, a prototype of rebellion. And uh, Nimrod became a mighty, one version has tyrant in the face of Jehovah. He was a hunter in the sense that he was implacable in searching out and persuading men to obey his will. In fact, the Jerusalem Targum says, quote, he was, a powerful, he was powerful in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord. For he was a hunter of the sons of men. And he said to them, depart from the judgment of the Lord and adhere to the judgment of Nimrod. Therefore it is said, this is from Jewish literature, as Nimrod the strong one, strong in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord. And so that's why you've heard many people say that Nimrod was not just a hunter of wild game, but a hunter of souls. He was on the hunt in this sense to get people to rebel against the God of the Bible, to practice idolatry, and even find solace in man's attempt to reach God. Christianity is God reaching down to man through Jesus Christ. But man is always trying to reach God or become a God, Genesis chapter 3. In fact, there are some who say Babylon means the gate of God, Bab-el, L-E-L is the name of God, so they translate it the gate of God. And there are others that say Babel means heaven's gate or the gate to the God or the gate to heaven. Uh, there's pe been people that sang about that. And there was even a Heaven's Gate cult. Do you guys remember this? 
Uh, I don't remember what decade it was now. Was it the 80s or 90s? And these guys had a, I guess he was the charismatic leader, and he claimed that a spaceship was going to appear behind uh, what was it, Halley's Comet, and that they were going to, it was beam me up, Scotty, and they were going to go meet the mothership. And so this is sad. This happened in San Diego. They all drank poison. They put on, I think, Nike tennis shoes. And they all drank poison in a mass suicide, much like Jonestown under another wacky leader. Um, These ideas float around everywhere, and they all go back to this migration and this rebellion against God. And so he founded his kingdom, uh, Genesis 10.10, was Babel, Erech, which is 100 miles southeast of Babylon, uh, the legendary home of Gilgamesh, the hero of the Babylonian flood story, Akkad, where we get the Akkadian language, and Kalne in the land of Shinar, Shinar which, by the way, uh, Kalne uh, appears to be a capital city uh, before Nineveh. From that land, look at verse 11, Genesis 10, He went forth into Assyria and he built what? Did you know that Nimrod was the one who built both Babylon and Assyria? Um, And Rehoboth, Ur, and Kala. Actually, Kala was one of the Assyrian capital cities. And resin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. So Kala seems to be the capital. Then Nineveh became the capital later. So get this. There's a connection in this line to Egypt, Assyria, which was built by Nimrod, and Babylon. And Assyria invaded Israel in 722 B.C. Babylon invaded Israel in 586 B.C. And all of this rebellion comes back to this man who built these cities with a tower that spoke of reaching up to heaven's gate. The power of man in rebellion to God. It's still happening today. I hope uh, there's nobody in this room that's shaking their fist at God. But if you're trying to box God, I just have news for you. Your arms are too short. I mean, you can do this all you want. Put them off, put them off. But I think those are the times when heaven laughs. Psalm chapter 2. God does laugh, and he laughs when his enemies think that They can take him down. He made everything. He has so much power, it's beyond our imagination. The God of the Bible. And yet he came down in Jesus Christ to save us. Amazing love. Now Nimrod was the ruler of ancient Babylon. And of all the stories that took place, here's one story. In defiance of God, he was the prime mover behind the Tower of Babel, a presumptuous attempt to reach the heaven. The zodiac and astrology traced their origin to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. It was uh, with Nimrod that the pervasive mother-son worship had its origin. History records the fact that Nimrod's wife, Semiramis, came to be called the Supreme One, the Priestess. 
Early in their religion, the legend developed that she was impregnated by a sunbeam and birthed a son named Tammuz. Clearly an attempt at a counterfeit virgin birth. One day, a while out hunting, he was killed by a wild boar and died. Semiramis was so upset that she wept and cried and would not eat for 40 days. At the end of those 40 days, Tammuz allegedly, according to the legend, rose from the dead in an attempt at a false resurrection. And then there are people who say the 40-day period of mourning may have contributed to the period of Lent. God in chapter 9 told Noah and his sons, go out, replenish the earth, fill the earth. And what Nimrod does, even though we're told in chapter 11 of Genesis, is that even though there are people throughout the earth, they still had one language, and they were doing things their own way. Nimrod hears, it says that he was a hunter before the Lord, but the hunter of men, he enslaved men, uh, manufactured a city with the, on the backs of men. And like you mentioned, the Tower of Babel was a worship center. Here we have another way of getting to God, not the way that God wants us to reach Him. And we're seeing Genesis chapter 6 again in how people are doing their own way, doing their own thing and distancing themselves again from God. So that's what I see here is that um, they were defiant of God. They were doing things their own way, the, the way that they wanted to do it. And you have the ziggurat, the, the signs of the zodiac. You can see in Isaiah and Jeremiah that there's prophecies against Babylon for, you know, becoming, uh, getting involved with the stars and trying to really appease gods and goddesses in this way and the queen of heaven and all of this stuff. And this is stuff that is really against the God of the Bible. And it is interesting to me, Oscar, that in the book of Jeremiah, you have the uh, people of Israel who've gone into Babylonian captivity. Mm-hmm. And they've done that. Uh, God did that to them because they didn't honor the Sabbath rest for the land. But also that Israel became very idolatrous. And so I think God, in one sense, was saying, if you want to, if you want idols, I'll send you a land that's mm-hmm. filled with them. And I think this this idea of Babylonianism and this anti-God New Age system, if you will, uh, goes all the way through and has its faces in Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the actual kingdom of, kingdom of Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. Um, You can look at the Greek pantheon, the Roman pantheon of gods and goddesses, and then you can take it all the way up into modern culture with New Age and Eastern religions and you name it. Mm -hmm. And and all of these these systems say, oh, well, there's other ways to get to God. You, You can do it your way. You can build the tower. You can do this or that. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, I repeat, no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus makes very exclusive claims, and yet these religious systems that we see in Genesis 10 and 11 are really snatching souls in what sense? You can lose your soul by putting your faith in the wrong object. Mm -hmm. Faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. So to me, Babylon represents a system that looks good, it promises you know, health, wealth, prosperity, you know, maybe you could even become a god or goddess, but in the end, it cannot deliver. It's really a lie. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.